Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, joined by the mayor, Jeff Burton, our NASCAR and NBC analyst. He's here to talk about the round of 16 in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs, which just concluded two days ago at Bristol Motor Speedway. Jeff, thanks for being here. We certainly went into this race wondering if we would have the first regular season champion and Martin Truex Jr. ever eliminated in the first round. We ended up having a couple of champions eliminated instead, Kevin Harvick, Joey Logano. And in both of their instances, it was just a matter of going out with a whimper, you know, especially with Harvick, five laps down on speed, you know, said it's the worst race he's ever run at Bristol without having, you know, with having all the fenders on it. What did you make about this? Because it was really kind of stunning to me. Yeah, I was surprised too, because, you know, we we just expect Kevin Harvick and, and Rodney Childers to step up in those moments because they always seem to find a way to do it. And then, you know, when I go back and look at the last two years of Bristol, that four car has been right there in the mix in, in every race and having, having shots to win races. And and you look at all that and you're like, all right. And then, and then you watch practice and you're like, hmm, a little concerned, but I've seen this also this year where they don't look good in practice and they find a way to rally and and uh, you just expect Kevin and Rodney to just be able to bring more than that but it's you know and they and they have stepped their game up in the playoffs they have brought more speed they have had chances to to win a few races this year but not to the extent that we expect so you know looking back on it yeah I'm, I'm very surprised but at the same token you know the consistency of speed uh with the four car it just hasn't been there and and when you teeter you know on the edge of not running well it's pretty easy to fall on the wrong side of it and then the other thing that happens nate if you get a lap down at bristol they're coming quick and yeah. so if you don't get the cautions like you need and you you line up 30th you line up 28th they're coming fast and if you're not fast enough to get by or you don't have great pit stops or you don't have some kind of strategy that moves you up into the field man they're coming at you and you can have one of those nights at Bristol. You run, you don't run them great. You can't get track position. And then just one thing, they just keep coming and lapping you. And, and uh, you need those kind of, those are the nights that you need a lot of cautions. You know, it's crazy. You know, we talk about you, you try to control everything you can, but there's things you can't. And we've seen races at Bristol or, or everywhere for that matter, that one car, you know, a car wins because of the type of race they got. And what Kevin and that team needed, they needed a multitude of cautions. They need a chaotic night at Bristol to get them through the bad running. And they would have ultimately gotten track position because they could have uh, been on a different strategy. They just didn't get the kind of race they needed with the speed they had. 
wasn't a typical Bristol race with a lot of wrecks, with a lot of cautions, uh, aside from the one that, that caught up Joey Logano, who we're going to talk about in a minute. But even if he gets those cautions, Jeff, I mean, you kind of hit on it. And Kevin talked about this afterward, that, you know, we barely made the playoffs. We were never in it. He said he didn't have any expectations. If they get cautions, it's not like the car was in a position where if they adjusted on it, they could find the speed. It was just about trying to stay out of trouble and maybe stay on the lead lap somehow or a lap or two down and in that top 20, then he advances. But a car didn't seem like it was in a condition where it could have been improved, which is unfortunately the the story of his season. Well, it is. And, you know, but I will say, again, track position matters a great deal and and they just were never able to get it. And sometimes, you know, if you you look, if you put a a 30th place car and you put him in 14th at Bristol, and he can hang on for a little while, and he catches caution, and he has a good pit stop, and he's on 11th. You know what I mean? It just it just can happen like that. But in this case, it happened the opposite. But a slow car handicaps you so badly. Handicaps crew chief, handicaps the driver, handicaps everybody in the fight they're able to bring uh, to the race. What's happened this season, do you think, for the number four and for Stuart Haas racing? I mean, we have two Fords that missed it here in Logano yeah. and Harvick. I mean, obviously the Fords have been, aside from RFK, they've been a little bit off this season. Is it just a matter of Harvick and Childers were in the wrong position in terms of manufacturer? Was it other things? Like, what do you make of what's gone on here for this team? Well, there's, there's, you know, it's really difficult to, to say and be, because every manufacturer and team have a different relationship. And uh, clearly uh, something's, something's amiss. You know, you haven't seen the speed from uh, Penske's. You haven't seen the speed from Stuart Haas. Uh, clearly there's something that needs to improve. And I'm not saying it's just Ford. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a complicated relationship between the manufacturers and, and the, uh, t- the teams. You know, Ford would look and say, hey, look what RFK is doing. Look at what, look at what McDowell and his team are doing. You know, and that's legitimate argument. <laughs> it's yeah. legitimate argument. So this is a rapidly moving series. And it's not unusual at all to see teams get behind or teams get ahead. Uh, it's not unusual. It's, it, you know, it goes up and down. And you have bad years. You, you just get behind. And what happens when you get behind, Nate, is you work. God, you work so hard and you throw all kinds of things at it and you are working harder than the people that are running well. And you are just constantly changing, constantly changing. And, and until you find the right path, you're just throwing stuff at it. I mean, it's don't get me wrong. It's, it's logical stuff you're throwing at it, but it's not, you're not able to prepare for a race weekend the way the guys are that have confidence that their cars are going to run well. And it's, it's just hard. It's just really hard. And I, you know, look, a hard could have won Darlington, got a bad break. You know what I yeah. mean? He, like, he, you know, and that's what, that's what's weird about it. So uh, competition is tough. The, the, this is a still, relatively speaking, it's a new car. There are still opportunities to make major gains and get away from people. And there's opportunities to get caught back up. That is one thing that you don't have when you're, when you're, when you're thinking about, if you're Stuart Haas and you're Penske and you're looking and you're saying, okay, how do we get better? You don't, have to look at the chassis, right? They're all the same. You don't have to look at the components. They're all the same. Aerodynamically, you have what you have. You can manipulate the bodies to an extent, but not a great deal. It's how do I maximize these parts and pieces? And and so now, in, in the past, those two organizations, they would have been ramping up. They would have been ramping up chassis build. They would have been ramping up R&D on every kind of part possible. That's not the problem anymore. It's how are you using these components? How are you maximizing these components uh, in every area? In some ways, it makes it harder. 
but in other ways you now have a focus okay we don't have to worry about this and i think nate i think too it requires a shift in how you run your company hmm. so if you run your company today the same way you did three years ago well that's not good that shouldn't be productive maybe you get by with it for a little while but it, it has to be different you have to approach this in a completely different manner and how you dig out of a hole uh, is approached in a different manner than it was so everybody's still learning and and even when they have all the same components and even when they have all the same parts we're not they're not always gonna run the same speed it's just it's racing it's 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 competition and Penske's gonna be on the top sometimes and sometimes they're not it's not the effort that goes into it because everybody's working hard it's what are we working on and how are we working on it that's fascinating insight, Jeff. The follow-up obviously would be, you know, it's so it's year two of this model with next gen and this sea change for how teams do things. And like you said, you can't deploy resources the way you could, where it's just like, okay, just go out and build a ton of new trick parts or chassis and all this stuff. It all comes from single source suppliers. So it's like like you said, like I, you're you're working in different ways. Are teams still trying to figure out how to turn it around or how to improve? Do you think like Stuart Haas Racing like has a plan for, okay, we know we missed it this year in some areas. Here's how we fix it. Or is it, hey, it's year two of this thing. We're still trying to figure out how to get the next gen to run well at never mind like figuring out how to improve with it. Like where do you think teams are in that process? Yeah, it's, it's, it's philosophies. You know, what what makes this car go around the racetrack fast? And, and once you figure that out, how do you do it? You know, where are the, where are the, where are the, the hot buttons? Where do you, what for, for this type of setup? Uh, and, and by the way, you know, these cars are, you know, they do have a ton of adjustment built into them in regard to, you know, sus suspension, spring shots, et cetera. There's a ton of adjustability, but where do we want this car aerodynamically on the racetrack, right? So, so the car sitting in the, in the wind tunnel without movement, that's great, but it tells you absolutely nothing. What really matters is where, do we maximize downforce on track? Where do we have to position this car using our, our suspension components to maximize downforce, to maximize driver comfort? And then how do we do that and get the right springs and shocks and other setups in the car that make the car where it feels good to the driver? How do we couple all that together? And it's not easy. It's very, very difficult. And it's, look, we're, we play in a game of tenths of seconds. You know, we're not, we're not talking about half second, we're talking about tenths of a second. And, and those small things make massive difference. They don't make massive difference in speed. Like it's not Harvick or, or Joey, it was not going to go to Texas and get beat by a second a lap. They're going to go to Texas and get beat by three tenths of a second a lap. Mm -hmm. And, but, but, you know, over 30 laps, that's a lot. So yeah. we're, we're playing in tenths of a second here, you know, and, and we're matching the best drivers against the best drivers and the best crew chiefs against the best crew chiefs and the best pit crews against the best pit crews. You know, it's competing everywhere. And it's it's just damn hard. Denny Hamlin, after winning at Bristol, kind of touched on this and said that I'm a competitor and I love competing. And, you know, at 42, I, I love this sport as much as I ever have. And what it takes to find an edge, right? I, it used to be back in the day, we could just, Joe would just build me a faster car than everyone else. You know, we'd come up with a new strict chassis and we just smoke everyone. I didn't have to put in a whole lot of work. You know, you just kind of rely on the fast car. Now with everything common, the driver's the number one X factor in your performance week in, week out. That is a fact. So it's on my 
shoulders to find the edges, find the gray areas of where, where can I get better? Where's my deficits? Um, and I enjoy that process. Denny, even in year 18 of the Cup Series, he feels like he's driving better than ever. And so he's able to have an impact, a measure of autonomy over his performance. Would you agree with that? Is it? And we sort of saw it with Harvick. Like you said, I mean, he could have won Darlington as much as we're, you know, I'm making it out like he had some sort of lost season. I mean, he could have won Darlington, could have won Daytona, could have had two wins in the last month. Um, Phoenix. Yeah, if he, yeah, exactly. I mean, does it still come back to driver even more so, even though it's like this new sort of, way of teams you know to develop speed does the driver have a bigger impact than ever too you know it, it's the driver has a massive impact there's no doubt about it and and telling somebody the other day i've been in the the cup garage for you know 30 years and for those 30 years of in the cup garage i've had had fans ask me is it driver's a car yeah. <laughs> and yes is the answer <laughs> <laughs> and you know and uh, it does matter now i do think this i think there's an evolution of how the driver works with the team and how the driver is prepared and how the driver communicates with the team and what the driver's role is, is ever evolving. It's completely different today than it was in, in, in you know, when I came in in 94, it's completely different. And by the way, the crew chief role is completely different. The spotter role is completely different. We used to put spotters on the sand and just say, hey man, you're either clear or you're not. I mean, that was their role. And now they're, you know, they are like, they're driving the car. Oh my God. Well, they're yeah. not driving the car, but they, they are <laughs> constantly gathering information that, you know, coming from the crew chief or in some cases coming from themselves with data. And so now they become the link for information, you know, cause they have all, because we have access to all these things now. So they are providing information at a level that's higher than ever before in other ways. You know, now we have these digital cameras in the back of the car that the drivers can see completely clear. I mean, it's, it's every role evolves in this sport and the drive always and the driver role is evolving. Also, the driver today is much more like an NFL quarterback than he's ever been before. You look how they train, you look how they prepare, you look how they they take in information, the information they're taking in all of that stuff. You now have, you know, now the driver is integrated into there. I mean, look, man, me, Rusty and me, Rusty, and and Mark, and a group of us, we would we would be on creepers, you know, helping them set up race cars, helping them build race cars. I mean, hell, I ain't doing that today. If you're doing that today, you're lost, you know. In most cases, there are also cases where that's still happening. But for guys competing for the championship, that ain't that ain't how it's working. Yeah, car knowledge used to be so important to success as a driver for guys like you and yeah. Rusty and Mark Martin and. It's obviously not something you hear about in the age of Kyle Larson and all these other guys. Now it's, it, it wouldn't be, like and it shouldn't. Wouldn't be beneficial. Yeah. It shouldn't. Yeah, and it shouldn't. I mean, look, if you're, if, if the driver's a guy telling you how to set the race car up now, look, I'm not saying the driver shouldn't be involved in it. The driver is the tip of the spear. He's the one that feels it. He's the one that knows what he's dealing with. I'm not suggesting that, but all of the data that goes into determining how you set a race car up, there's no way the driver could say, has enough time to sit down and, or even, I, hell, I wouldn't be smart enough to understand it. You know what I mean? I, I would have got lost really, really quickly. I think you would have figured it out, though. And yeah. I think Harvick and others of his ilk, who even have been around for 20-plus years, have figured it out, have learned to adapt. But there were some questions, Chef, and, and Harvick addressed this the day before Bristol. Yeah, those are the ignorant people that are keyboard warriors. Um, obviously, they weren't watching with three laps to go at Daytona and 
leading the race, well, all but leading the race coming to Darlington. And so there's people who like to type. The keyboard warriors, as he put it out there, saying that he had checked out, you know, people had taken the fact that he's been so frustrated recently, understandably, justifiably, because not only is he kind of barely making the playoffs, but, you know, again, he barely misses the win at Daytona. He barely misses the win at Darlington. Fractions of a second determine when that pit light comes on and pretty much ruins his chance of winning the Southern 500. But, you know, I don't want to question Kevin Harvick's commitment at all. I mean, I know this is one of the most driven drivers we've seen in his generation, but you have a window into him. You've been his teammate. What's it like, I guess, to ask a driver like him who's in you know, late stages of his career, the last couple of years of your career, hey man, like you're going out, you want to go out on top, we want you to win, but you're going to have to like totally rethink how you've done things. It's going to be totally different from your first full season in 2001 to win races now. I mean, how difficult do you think an adjustment that is for a driver or somebody like him to, again, like not to question Kevin Harvick's will, but like at some point, like I'm sure it's got to get in his mind. This is my last season. And I'm being asked to do all these other things in addition to, tr- you know, try to go out on top and try to win. It's got to be extremely difficult. So, look, I think Kevin approached his final year correctly. Uh, he and I, we've had conversations about it. And st- he wanted and still wants to enjoy this year. He wants to take it in. Uh, he's also a fierce competitor. You don't have a chance to win at Darlington if you're not a fierce competitor. You don't have a chance to win at Daytona if you're not a fierce competitor. He's right in the middle of that stuff. And and if he was checked out, he would check out at Daytona. Like, I promise you, that would be the place. You saw Ryan Priest flip down the back straightaway. Kevin Harvick don't want to do that at this point in his career. Or at least I didn't. My last race at Talladega, I got out, and I'm like, you damn right, I didn't flip. You know, it wasn't that I wasn't trying hard, but – there's no question that there was somebody else with 20 years ahead of them. That's a different mentality. And so Kevin Harvick's right in the middle of it. So I don't, there's zero in me that thinks Kevin Harvick didn't bring hundred percent to the year, but what he also did bring is perspective perspective that someone is his age. That's been through the things that he's been through that only can bring that perspective. And Hey, I'm going to enjoy this year. I want to leave this year and have, you know, done advanced my career. I want to leave this year and soak it in. Uh, now that that goes with winning, you know, right? If, if he wins Phoenix, if he wins Darlington, if he wins Daytona, you know, then he's in the playoffs and, and you know, and he's probably advancing in the playoffs. So <laughs> it's funny. People get on Kevin because he's always too fiery, screaming at his pit crew. He's doing all, you know, rah, 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 he's destructive. And then he doesn't do that. Oh, he doesn't give a damn. Yeah, you know, you 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 can't win in, in regard to the keyboard warriors. You got to be true to yourself. And, you know, it's really easy to tell somebody what they should be doing when you've never done it. It's really easy to sit and watch it, you know, Sunday night football last night and say, well, yeah, damn quarterback, he threw the ball very well. Okay, you do it. You know, he's at the he is one of the very best in the world at doing what he does. And you're comparing him to the other best. So he may not look as good as some, but he's better than, than everyone else that's available. <laughs> so you just, fans sometimes lose perspective of how good the driver just running 28th really is. And so at the same token, you lose, if, you, if you don't walk in Kevin Harvick's shoes or you don't walk in Denny Hamlin's shoes, you don't know what they're dealing with. And, and I think Kevin Harvick has brought a tremendous amount of grace. He's brought competitiveness uh, to his final year. I mean, he's been, he's done everything, pretty much everything he's been asked to do. He's done it with a smile. Uh, he's, you know, he's had his family around with him a lot. 
He's been he's been very active, uh, helping helping me try to help you know help work with NASCAR and the teams and make things better. Been very active in that, and I'm disappointed for him in his last year not make the next round. But this has been competition wise has not been their best year, but it's been a successful year. NASCAR is lucky that they'll still have Kevin around next year. Obviously, oh so. yeah broadcaster for Fox. And like you said, in the industry, because he's got an important voice, still very invested in racing, you know, whether it's the driver side or, you know, the cars tour stuff he's doing, and now he's going to be in the booth. You make a really good point about the way he's approached his final season, because I wouldn't consider Kevin Harvick the sentimental type, but he did the command to start engines with his daughter Piper before the Xfinity race at Bristol. I mean, obviously he's trying to take it in while he's trying to be competitive as well. Again, I wouldn't say he's sentimental, Jeff, but you know him well. What do you think it would mean for him to get one last victory here in the final seven races of the year. No, oh, it would. Yeah. I mean, look, you always want to go out winning, right? You always want to do that. Uh, and, and he, and trust me, <laughs> he put him in position. He's going to go hard. Uh, there's no, there's no doubt. We look, everybody knows Kevin. They all know him, man. He's his, he's fiery. He's, he's ready to go. And so you put him in position and he's going to, he's going to do everything in his power to make it happen. But at the same token, I think Kevin recognizes this year isn't just about winning. That doesn't mean winning isn't important, but it's not just about winning. Mm -hmm. And, and I will tell you from a, I like, I love that perspective because I didn't soak it in. You know, I didn't soak in, I, I didn't, I never got out of blinders own mode and I wish I had of enjoyed it a little more. Now, look, I didn't know I was, you know, I didn't know a year ahead, but I wish I would have enjoyed it a little more and taken a little pressure off and recognized a different perspective. That would have been a, a, a good experience for me, or I think it would have. I wish I could have done that. I thought, like, you know, like I said, I think Kevin's approached it 100% the right way. It's really hard for a driver, isn't it? Because you you want to like be able to take it in and soak it in. But if, especially in this system where the, you got this playoffs and the final 10 races are what matter or determine your season's a success or a failure, it, there isn't really that time. <laughs> especially like yeah. if you don't know, as you said, like a year out, this is the end. Like Kevin has been sort of fortunate, like, some others. I mean, Jeff Gordon did it, Tony Stewart did it, but not every driver sort of gets that that opportunity, I guess. Yeah, Nate, the other thing that's really difficult is when you when you're a guy like Kevin and a guy like I was, you're intimately involved with the race team. You're always trying to build to make things better, right? So you take last week and you try to apply that to the next week. You take last year and you try to apply that to the upcoming year. When you aren't going to be there next year, what is that role? Like you are now literally you're not talking about next year. You're not thinking about next year. You're thinking about next week. And for a guy like Kevin, and I've been in those meetings where the door gets shut and, and things that stay in that room, stay in that room. If Kevin was there for next year, it would be a completely different, different atmosphere because he's going to be lighting everybody up about, Hey, what are we doing? To, we can't do this again. Where, you know, he now recognizes he's not the guy next year. Josh Berry and all the other drivers and all the other crew chiefs, they need to find a way to be better for next year because what's better for Kevin may not be better for everybody else. And so that's a massive shift. And what, if, what is my role here? And so you, what I appreciate about Kevin, look, for all, as far as I know, he still is doing that. I don't know this. I'm just assuming that he's not uh, to the extent that he would be, but you still have to replace that with something, right? You yeah. still have to replace that with something because you don't do that because you, have to do it you do it because you want to do it you need to do it 
So your brain needs that space occupied. So what do you replace that with? And to me, Kevin's replaced that with soaking it in, soaking the year in and embracing it. I think that's pretty healthy. I think it's smart. So Harvick misses it. Joey Logano also fails to advance. The defending Cup Series champion is eliminated in round one, Jeff. I mean, we've seen it before where defending champ, we've seen defending champions miss the playoffs. You know, what's your take on, on Logano? I mean, he gets eliminated by a crash. If he's not in that crash, maybe he makes it. But again, kind of similar to Harvick. This was a guy who won a race this year, but wasn't really of that championship caliber all season long. So Joey and that whole team, they have ground their way through this year. They haven't had the pace. And what they've done a magical job of is clawing out finishes. They've finished way better than they deserve from a speed standpoint. And that's the ultimate compliment you can give a driver and a crew chief, to be honest with you, is you're disappointed in the speed, but they grind it. They, they just grind and they grind and they grind and they find a way. And you look up and the race is over and you're like, what the hell? How the hell do you do that? He ran 19th all night and finished sixth. Those, and those are huge. And this, they did a, a wonderful job of doing that throughout the whole year. We, we, you know, a few weeks ago, you know, they ran horrible. They stayed out late uh, or put two tires on late and, and, and clawed out a great finish. Uh, and that was just an example recently. But they've done that kind of stuff all year long. And at the end of the day, what they haven't had on a consistent basis is the speed. And so when you teeter on that edge of not having enough speed, when things don't go well, you can't recover. And, and you know, speed doesn't cure everything, but it damn sure helps. And they just don't have enough speed to make mistakes. And so their pit crew has had a ton of pressure put on them and they've done a great job. Strategic calls have had a lot of pressure on them and they've done a great job. Restarts have had a lot of pressure. They've done a great job qualifying. They've done a great job qualifying to get the track position. They qualify better than their race pace. That gets them track position. And and not every week, but in some cases. And so they've done all the little things really well, but the big thing is the lack of speed. And they all know it. It's not like they don't know it. They're working (laughs) their guts out to get there. They just have not gotten there. And you wonder when the playoffs start, hey, who can bring it, right? Who can bring more? And they weren't able to. And I was afraid they weren't going to be able to based on the conversations I was having with people in the industry. But it's a tough sport. It's a grind and it changes. And and you, we tend to live in the moment because this is all that matters in sports is what are you doing for me lately? You know, do I think Penske is going to struggle for through all 2024 and 2025 and 2026? I do not. <laughs> I think they're going <clears> to <throat> I think they're going to find a way uh, to be good. But but they just weren't good enough this year. Two other teams that grounded out Saturday night at Bristol, but made it. Martin Truex Jr., Bubba Wallace. I wouldn't say they had spectacular races. They both qualified fairly well, and that put them in position to get stage points in stage one, which helped a lot. And I think that just sort of set the course of the evening. But certainly Bubba Wallace, that team has a lot to do now, advancing from round to 12. But Stevie Latar was making the point last week, Jeff, that Martin Truex Jr., if he gets through round one, if you can escape the problems that they had at Darlington and at Kansas and, you know, getting through Bristol, not one of his best tracks. I mean, suddenly he's got all those playoff points back and Stevie thinks Truex is a favorite again. Yeah. I don't know that he's a favorite. They've been so consistent. And then lately that's gone away. Uh, They've been consistently fast. and Lately they haven't had that, but with the points that they have, I mean, yes, with playoff points and yeah, that's going to help them a great deal. And, so Martin and that team, they just need to gain their consistency back. If they can just gain their consistency back, they're going to be fine. And that's easier said than done, but that's their goal. Bubba Wallace has speed. 
What he doesn't have is points. But when I look at the sheet, is Bubba faster than Ross Chastain? Yep. Is Bubba faster than Blaney? Yep. Is Bubba faster than Chris Busher? Mm, comparable. So what does Bubba have to do to advance is my point. I do believe that he has shown you, he wears his emotion on his sleeve, and he has shown us all how stressful these playoffs have been. Number one, making it. Number two, getting through the next round. Well, he's done those two things now. So does Bubba Wallace wake up Sunday after Bristol with relief and a weight off his shoulders? Or does he wake up with more weight on his shoulders because there's another round and we know it's going to get harder? I like to think that the successes that he's been having help him recognize that he is a good race car driver, that he can do what he needs to do, that there are challenges ahead, but hey, man, we can do this. That's what you hope for anyone, for any young person, that they are building confidence and they're building self-awareness that they can do a good job and they are being able to look at their weaknesses without it being destructive. That's what you hope for anybody. And so I'm very curious to see what the last two milestone moments and how they affect him, because clearly he's very emotional and he's very, this has been stressful to him. So does this, does it make it easier or does it make it harder? And that'll be interesting to watch. I think Denny Hamlin was trying to take that pressure off that you mentioned. I mean, he said he was asked in his winner's interview in the media center, you know, how does it feel to have Tyler Reddick and Bubba Wallace, the two twenty three eleven racing drivers in year three of this team, both advanced the round of 12. And Denny said, it's all gravy from here, man. Like everything now is icing on the cake. This is all I wanted. This was the goal was to get both of these guys the round of 12. They're there. And now pressure's off. You make a really good point. I mean, Bubba has shown through the first round that he has handled it and his team certainly had speed at Darlington and at Kansas. I think the question now, though, becomes, Jeff, like the way this round of 12 lays out, Texas, the speed matters a little bit, although I'm sure there's going to be questions about the tires there and how the track will race. But then you get to Talladega and Roval, and it becomes a question of the speed matter as much at those two places, right? Well, that's right. And, 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 and <laughs> I mean, what a round, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, hell what a round we just had and what a round we're getting ready to have. You know, it's crazy. But I think I think that ultimately when you go to Talladega, you, you control what you control and then you can't control if you get caught up in the wreck, but you control the rest. But the other two, they're very much in your control. And so we talk about the Roval being this massive wild card, and it is because the damn track is so hard. But that's in your control. And so – we did see Bubba at the, our, the last road course, the last two road course races stepped up. So the processes that they're using uh, to help him become a better road racer are working. And, and, not, and am I saying he's going to contend for the win in the role? I'm not in any way saying that. I don't believe he's going to contend for the win for the role at the role. But is that what he has to do to win, to advance? We don't know that yet. If he gets put in a situation where he's got to win at the role, He's probably not going to make the playoff, next round of playoffs, right? But if he gets in a situation where he needs to have a kind of night like he had at Bristol, he's shown us he can do that at the at the. So what does he have to do? We don't know that yet. I mean, all of them could be in that situation. So, but it'll be interesting to see how he handles that. Truex and his team, I think they have enough speed. But you mentioned mentioned those two the, those two wild card races. The, to me, I can't figure Chastain and that team out. Like I just can't figure them out. I do know this, if I'm Blaney, so let's think about it differently. 
what do you need? Does, do we think that Blaney can go beat Larson, Hamlin, Reddick, Byron, Christopher Bell, Keselowski, Busher, Truex on speed? I don't think so. He loves this round. Like, he's wanted the Roval. He's wanted Talladega. Like, this is what he wants. He wants chaos. He wants – he doesn't want normal. He wants to recognize what their weaknesses are. He needs to get through Texas with a decent day, right? And then take advantage of those other two events. He ain't going to go into them playing defense. He, you know, he can't go into them playing defense. So this round creates some opportunity. The same way a lot of cautions at Bristol changes the race and who has a chance to win. This round is the same thing. So if you don't have that pace, you love this round. You're like, this creates opportunity. And and uh, this this is uh, all of them that really get nervous about this one. But if I'm Blaney and, and Chastain for that matter, I'm I'm excited about this round. I'm like, yep, this is a round that can help us advance. Yeah, it can be a game changer for sure. Yeah, you know the narrative coming out of round of sixteen, of course, was Denny Hamlin versus Kyle Larson because Hamlin wins Bristol, Larson wins Darlington. Either of them could have won Kansas. Those have been the two best teams through the first three races. Does it feel to you like it's setting up? This is a wild card round, but presuming both of them get past her, does it feel like it's starting to set up like Hamlin versus Larson for the title? Yeah, I do, but I still think I still think William Byron is sitting there ready to strike. A little concerned about their paces off a little bit in my eyes from where they've been. Maybe that's not right, but I feel like it is. Something about Christopher Bell this year, I can't put my finger on it. There's something about what they got going on. If you you look at the negative side of it, you're like, well, they can't execute races on a consistent basis the way they need to. Then they win both stages this week, and they, they get a good finish. If that team and driver can clean it up, they are a massive threat to win this championship. It's the inability. It's not the speed. It's the, it's the execution. They cleaned it up this week. Sometimes you overthink those things. Like, what am I doing? What are we doing? Why, you know, like you overthink them. If that team can just get over that hurdle, they are going to be a threat because speed is not an issue with those guys. They can compete at a high level. Third straight race on the pole, too. So, yeah, clearly number 20 has Got speed. that figured out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely fast enough. Before we get out of here, uh, I want to touch on Texas, but first I want to ask you about the way Denny embraced the villain role and the way we've seen him do all season long. I mean, he did it in driver intros. Denny Hamlin has had success, but he's also one of the drivers that probably gets booed the loudest during driver introduction. And it's unique here at the racetrack because the drivers get to introduce themselves. And this is how Denny Hamlin introduced himself to the crowd here at Bristol. didn't even say his name you know as he walked off the stage and then after the race he's like helmet has come off he's climbing out of the car marty over a hundred thousand people here at bristol motor speedway tonight and denny hamlin gets out to very mixed reviews a lot of booze and some cheers in there as well what a dominant round for the 11 team had the best car at Darlington, didn't win there. Second at Kansas, and he winds up winning the Bristol night race, another crown jewel. I think you're starting to like this with the fans, a little banter you have back going back and forth, do you? Oh, man, it's, uh, 
everybody likes a winner, right? So it's uh, can't thank this whole FedEx team enough. Just you know, they they really kicked ass this whole first round. Just amazing how good our team has been. Just so happy about the way we're running and. Um, and can't can't wait to keep going. So are these fans motivation for you? There's a lot of booze out there. Hey. Hey. I beat your favorite driver. And who would that be? All of them. You know, what are you gonna do about it? We always talk, Jeff, I think about like we want to see drivers embrace this a little more. And we've seen Kyle Bush do it a lot, but Rarely have we seen anybody do it to the extent that Hamlin is doing it this year. Of Bob Packers Fox Sports. Was there a point that you decided, okay, I'm going to just play to the crowd and play to the hate and just taunt every time you win? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, at some point, yeah, I, I got to realize uh, 18 years in that I'm, I'm probably not going to win the most popular driver award. Uh, I've, I've come to the conclusion of that. I understand it. Um, but, but yeah, it's clearly, um, they think they bother me, but clearly it's having an opposite effect. So I welcome any fan to want to come to the dark side. Um, I, you know, it's the, all five of my fans are still out there chanting my name. They're over in turn three right now. Um, but yeah, it's uh, as Cat Williams said, a, a hater can't stand a winner. You were around during the Earnhardt era. I mean, it, it reminds me a little bit of, of Earnhardt, although I don't think any has as many fans as Earnhardt did. It certainly seems to have as many people booing him. What do you make of this this heel turn for Denny Hamlin and how he seems to be relishing the role? I think it's healthy for him. I think Denny, I thought Denny in the past has been too sensitive to comments and conversations. And, and you know, I just felt like he was too sensitive. Like, you just, why do you care, you know, that somebody wrote an article that said that just, focus right and and i feel like this shift is good for him i feel like this shift of hey i'm damn denny hamlin and i won 51 races and yep i hadn't won a championship but i'm i'm damn denny damn yeah. hamlin i think it's good for him it's he has confidence in himself you would think a guy with 51 race wins would just automatically have confidence in yourself but everybody's different and and you know if, if I watch a lot of sport documentaries. You'll find out that some of the greatest players in the world dealt with anxieties, dealt with issues, right? And, you know, none of us are perfect. We all have issues. We all have our quirks. And if you can find a way to give yourself the ability to just focus on you and do it in a way that is gratifying to you, then that makes you a, a more dangerous athlete. And I think this new hey, I'm Denny damn Hamlin, and I don't care if you don't like it. I think that's healthy for Denny. I think Denny wants a voice. Denny is a very opinionated person. He has very clear ideas. He's a very confident guy in his beliefs. You know, him doing his podcast, him being vocal, uh, he, you know, being a car owner, he has a very unique place in the sport. Has a, He's going to play a massive role in the future of our sport. I love it. Like, I think it's great. I think it's great for him. I would love it if you were just making it up and trying to become someone you're not. And you're just like, you got a little act going on, but I don't think it is. I think it's Denny Hamlin finally at this point in his career has just said, you know what? To hell with it. I'm me. I am who I am. And I'm going to go and I'm going to drive my ass off and I'm going to work my ass off and I'm going to build, I'm going to become a championship driver and I'm going to build a championship team and I'm going to do it with a group of people that have influence and power, and I'm going to be part of that, and I'm going to come kick your ass. <laughs> I mean...
Yeah. You know, well, that's great. I understand why fans, some fans don't like him. That's what sports are. I don't like the damn Tar Heels, you know, like, but it's, it's sports. You're absolutely, that's what sports are about. And as many people that boo him, he's gaining that many more fans to, you know, that his, his fans, his current fans are even that much more emboldened. You damn right. You tell him, Denny, you tell him. I mean, that was a great line. You could see his wheels turning. He's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you could see them like working on this response. And uh it was it was a fun moment. And and uh that fan interaction took it, it, I, I laugh so much when you know we get this group of people. We should have the drivers, the drivers being on the racetrack doing interviews is silly. It should be in victory lane. You don't get that if the driver's not on it, that's the exact reason that the where that that is being done is to get that interaction with the fans when they come out of that Ricky Stenhouse at Daytona getting out, you know, I, I mean, those moments have been created because we put the driver, I mean, they're feet from the fans. When we used to win a race, we drive in victory lane. It was like we were in this, we're in the infield surrounded by photographers and our team we weren't with the fans. We now they're with the fans, and I know it's untraditional, and I know it's not like we did in 1983, but it's better, and it's better because of those interactions. And our sport is so built around fan involvement. It it is it's what separates us from others, and that moment on Vic, and on the front straightaway, that interaction, man, it's it's irreplaceable. It's like Imagine going, imagine a game seven NBA, right? And the the team that wins the game is playing away and they're playing in someone else's arena. And the the guy that won won the championship, the MVP, takes a microphone and says, I just beat all, I just beat your team, right? I mean, that's what this is. And, and it's absolutely phenomenal. It is. And you nailed it. It's it's genuine. And that's what's great about it is that there isn't any sort of pro wrestling like Denny Hamlin beating his chest or like challenging the crowd. It's genuine in the way that and Denny talked about this afterward, that he loves the fact that. You're on that stage. That's what's great about Bristol and the way that arena is set up. What's it like to stand in the middle of like this massive arena, all the attention and the energy is like directed onto you and you're like addressing all these people, like you have the floor for a moment. Like what, <laughs> what does that feel like? Yeah, it's, it's why I love this track, right? I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's cheers or booze, like it's... You know, you've earned the right to be on that stage for that given moment, for that interview or whatever it might be. Um, so it's gratifying. I mean, I'm, I'm a person that, that, you know, feeds off of that because, you know, I know that my hard work has paid off, right? And, you know, it's, it's tough it is. Like Dion says it, like what, you know, what what about in me thinks I care about what you think about me because it's not the same opinion I've, that I have of myself, right? So I know who I am. I know, you know, how I treat people and um, it's okay, right? It's it's okay to, to have fandom one way or another, but, you know, to have just electricity, it's, that's fun. This is, this is a really fun moment in sports and it's really fun in NASCAR to have that many fans passionate one way or another, right? 
um, that's good for our sport. The way he talked to the fans, you nailed it, Jeff. I mean, that was Denny Hamlin. Like what I love about Denny Hamlin's swagger is that it's so nonchalant. It's so just like, I'm me and I, <laughs> I can do whatever, you know, in Bristol, the I'm, I just beat all your favorite drivers or, you know, Pocono, they can come boom my rock. You know, now that I've won seven times here, like no one else has. That's what's great about it is like, that is the essence of Denny Hamlin. When we talk about like, you know, the swagger that a pro athlete has, that's Hamlin's swagger. It's not like this bombastic. It's just this very deadpan, like, I'm great. What are you going to do about it? You know what else is important about it, Nate? Is here's a guy, think about this for a moment, right? So here's a guy that's won 51 races. He owns a cup team. And he is extremely, he has a great deal of influence in the sport from people in the sport. Look, some people like him. Some people don't like him. We're humans. That's who we are. Some people don't like me. Some people like me. That's that's how the world works. But if you're a driver, or you're a young driver, and you're watching a car owner and a driver willing to show his personality, willing to say, I am who I am, well, damn it, then you can too, right? And so it's so important for our sport, for our drivers to connect with the fans, our drivers to show the fans who they really are, our drivers to have that interaction. It is, it's the essence of what we do. And, and Denny being that guy, and Kevin's played this role too, Denny being that guy that is willing to like, hey, look, I've learned in my life. I've learned these things. Here I am at this point in my life, and I, I've learned I'm just going to be myself, and I'm going to go roll and do it. I hope every young driver and every current driver is looking at that and saying, yeah, I can do that. Now, that doesn't mean, look, we're not all the same, right? All Every driver's not going to get out and tease the fans, right? They're not all going to do that because that's not their personality. But trust yourself enough. Trust yourself enough to let yourself go and be you. And I think, I think it's a huge part of what we do because you emulate – it's really so weird, man. You take 20 people in the same occupation and you put them in a room together for a week. They all start acting like each other. <laughs> right? I mean, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but, but you know, we hang around each other a lot and you, you tend to watch what, what your colleagues and your peers do and not that you're copying them, but that's the normal, right? Well, Denny's saying, I don't have to be normal. And every young driver and every current driver, you don't be you. That's normal. Normal is being you. What's not normal is not being you and have the faith and the trust in yourself to do it. And I think that, I think that matters. Yeah. Be comfortable in your own skin is really good advice. Yes. Before we leave, just want to ask you quickly, we talked Roval, we talked Talladega. Those are the wild cards or quasi wild cards in Roval's case for round two. Texas should be the straightforward race, but last year it was not. Um, we saw all those tire problems. Thankfully, we saw that last year at Bristol. We didn't see that uh, on Saturday night. So maybe that's a good omen for Texas. But what do you think we're going to see from Texas Motor Speedway? Well, I don't think Texas is a straightforward race. I think it's a very complicated racetrack. First, let's talk about the track, right? So Texas is the weirdest racetrack since they changed it. Uh, That turn one entrance is nuts. It's bizarre. Turn three is like a mile and a half of tons of grip. Turn one is like Slick Martinsville. Like it is wild how different both ends of the racetrack are. And of course, you drive in there on restarts, three wide, two wide. So, and how many big moments have we seen in this sport in this race? This race in the playoffs has created a lot of moments 
and I think it's just because it's the time of year, the playoffs, all these things are happening. And I just think it, it's the emotion of it. We've seen a lot of things happen at this racetrack. So we don't throw it into the wild card race. But when you go back and you look at some big moments in our sport, they've happened at this racetrack in this race. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to expect this weekend in regard to all that. But it wouldn't surprise me one bit to see something big happen because it's happened a lot here. It certainly has. Stay tuned for more. This weekend, Texas Motor Speedway, Jeff Burton will be on the call. Uh, always appreciate when you join us on the podcast. Thanks for being here, Jeff. Thank you, Nate. It's fun. Our thanks again to Jeff Burton for joining us on the NASCAR NBC podcast. Thanks to Motorsports Manager Emily Convoy and Senior Producer Aaron Feldstein for helping set up and record the episode. You can watch the video episode of the podcast on the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel and also find more NASCAR America Motormouths content and highlights from across the racing spectrum at the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. The NASCAR Cup and Xfinity Series will be at Texas Motor Speedway this weekend. You can head to NBCSports.com NASCAR for all the information and schedules on how and when to watch. That's at NBCSports.com NASCAR. If you have any NASCAR and NBC podcast feedback, you can send to me at Nate Ryan. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.